When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to the Mindfield podcast from Anfield Index Pro, your sports psychology podcast where we delve into all things LFC and the mind. My name is Alan O'Donoghue, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Andrew Vincent. Andrew, how are you doing today? Good. You know, Klopp said that yesterday was uh, this group's Barcelona. And so I can't say that I'm excited quite the way I was when we (laughs) reversed that Champions League tie. But um, if you haven't watched Klopp's press conference, I highly recommend it just because he was a happy guy had a lot to say and it's not always like that with him in press conferences. So for anyone listening who hasn't seen it, Klopp post Luton, it's worth your time. I haven't seen it, but I'm definitely going to go and watch it because Andrew let let us into a little secret that there was a lot of really good sports psychology stuff that uh, Klopp kind of referenced. And that's what we're going to talk about today because sometimes I think we can explore our views of Liverpool and the team and the culture and the club and the manager and all that kind of stuff from our perspective. But, it, you know, it's great to have the opportunity to take those little nuggets that he's given to give us a better picture, to explore the theoretical side of sports psychology as well. So why not use this opportunity, given that he was so jovial and given us a little glimpse into how he views things and how he uses psychology with his players to frame the discussions because the first thing I threw at Andrew when we were developing what we're going to talk about today was I'd like to talk about how with each injury setback that we've had, we've essentially had someone come in and step up to the plate. And that was in kind of subtle reference to the the old mentality monsters. But I do think it shows a a renewed sense of 
opportunity that is within this squad and within the, the club at the moment where previously when we've had big injuries, it's it, it's been like our hair has been on fire and we're looking around for any thing or any way to put it out. But literally we're bringing kids in to replace some of the best players in the league and they're just stepping up time after time after time. And that speaks massive volumes to one them and their sense of self-value to the to the squad, which can only be there due to the culture that is being promoted by the coaching staff and the manager. And also, even the more experienced players filling those holes that have been left by the the other players who are injured has been phenomenal to watch. So I suppose, Andrew, let's take it from the the culture and and how Klopp works and the coaching staff. We can't, he's not working in isolation in this respect. You know, you, one person does not build a culture. So give us some of the nuggets that he throughout in that post-Luton press conference and mm-hmm. and where you see that in the theory within sports psychology? Um, so the big, the line that he had around this is he was talking about how important it is to ignore the injuries. And, um, you know, basically the the line that I liked was if you don't let the bad thoughts limit you, then you can fly. And he was really saying this in reference to, um, you know, just the number of injuries and who's injured. And actually it was pretty funny because he was, he was saying that like probably for the fans, like when we all saw who was in the lineup and on the bench and who was injured, um, that it probably took some time to digest. And he was like, to be honest with you, when I found out, it also (laughs) took me some time to process (laughs) like this. Um, But then after that, he said that he went to the team and just said, you know, you have to ignore who's not here. And like, that can't matter. And, um, you know, really a belief in the potential. And from a sports psychology side of things, you know, I have a mixed relationship with positivity. Okay. Um, because I think on the one side, it's really important to have some optimism and belief in order to accomplish anything. Like if you can't be optimistic, if you can't be positive, if you can't, um, you know, say, okay, this is something I want to try to accomplish or that I can accomplish, then you're not going to be able to do it, to be able to set that goal for yourself to begin with. No one's ever achieved anything by being like, oh, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this, but I guess I'll give it a shot. <laughs> like that just isn't really how things happen. Um, but I think sometimes like the impact can be overstated in terms of how important the positivity is or ignoring the negativity or having to chase out all of the negativity or, um, you know, can put pressure on people to feel like they have to be positive all of the time, which is a bit of an unrealistic expectation or that doubts are going to sink you if you ever have doubts. And I think for most of us, it's some sort of battle between positivity and goals and doubts and navigating all of that. But I think, um, you know, that idea, if you don't let the bad thoughts limit you, then you can fly. And I think what I hear there is don't reduce your goals just because of what you're seeing around you, Mm. you know, like keep the goals up there 
and like trust that. And I, I think Klopp is uniquely suited actually to this and maybe not uniquely. Cause I think there's plenty of other managers maybe who weren't excellent players. Um, one of the things that was an interesting adjustment when I started watching football, soccer, um, however you'd like to call it, you'd like to call it football. Probably most people listening probably would like to call it football too. Um, when I started watching, especially because it's going from like an American sport context to like a European, or in this case, like a British sport context is that there's class plays into the, the narratives around sport. And so like the idea of a team that wasn't as good going to a team that's clearly better and playing for a tie or playing not to lose blew my mind. That was so weird to me really? because like in America, sport, even if you're shitty, like you're going to go to the other team. First of all, you can't tie because we have all sorts of different <laughs> things to avoid ties. Like there's no, there is no tying over here. Right. But like the idea that, um, a team would look at another team and give them that much respect and say, they're just that much better than us. We're going to just play not to lose. It was kind of like jarring. Like, why would you do that? Like what you're telling me every team isn't starting the season saying our goal is to win. And that actually, even for the best teams, like if their managers say, yes, we're going to try it. Like we're favorites to win the league this year. Or like, we think we're the best team that that's not something they should say. Like that's like jarring to me. You know, and not, um, I think that plays out. I'll bring it back to what we were talking about, but I think that that focus on class then comes back to culture and how, if you're really focused on this idea that class is permanent and there's levels to this and these people are the best and these people aren't the best, then having seven of your starters who are the best players in the league on the sidelines cannot help but create a narrative of we can't possibly be as good. And so right there, that, that can become something very limiting. And so if you're too focused on who's not around and who's missing and who's not going to be able to do what, then you're handicapping yourself right off the bat. You're putting yourself in a spot where you can't possibly be as effective because it has this, there's this inherent belief of like, oh, the people who are here aren't as good as people who could be. Um, but if you don't focus on that and you say, Hey, like, we're going to go out, we're going to play our game. We're going to trust our game plan, or even just the people who are coming on are capable of plenty a lot. And let's see what they can do. And let's see what we can do. And like, we can win this and we can win what's in front of us. And I know what Klopp is talking about. Cause he's not Luton is important, but I think he's more focused on there's a final this weekend and we're not getting all seven of those players back. We might get none of them back. You know, we don't, we don't know, certainly you and I sitting here. Mm. And so if that's the case, like, you know, there's still a team that needs to go into a final against Chelsea, which is a good team and feel like they can win and win a trophy and do something big. Um, and so in that case, like, yeah, just being focused on what's possible and having a culture where you're not so forced into these are our best players but you're able to focus on the group and who can step in and the belief in people stepping in to be able to accomplish something. Um, without that as a default, nothing else is possible. I don't think I would say that's a necessary, but not sufficient condition for success. Like it's necessary to believe and to give yourself that space to grow into, but that by itself is not 
enough to just make it happen. Mm. I'm a great believer and I'm, I'm not one for sayings, but I, I do love the saying, if you believe you can, or if you believe you can't, you're correct. Mm-hmm. Because we are less likely to try to do something that we believe we can't do or we're more likely to give up earlier than we would have if we believe we could do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of my bugbears in society is we have this, we live in a binary belief <laughs> that there is positivity or negativity. Mm-hmm. There is right or there is wrong. And that's just not the truth of the world. And I think... When Klopp speaks about we need to not focus on the injuries, is that actually is not about ignoring the elephant in the room. It's about going, focusing on the injuries actually serves no purpose because we have a game to play. And Mm -hmm. we can't just walk out onto the pitch and go, ref, we can't play because we've got these injuries, sorry. That's, no, we don't have any other players that can step in. And essentially what we got to do and what I think Klopp does exceptionally well or has been doing exceptionally well is getting those players to step in and say, you don't need to be Mo Salah. You don't need to be Dominic Sabozla. You don't need to be Trent Alexander-Arnold. You just need to be yourself. And the process continue to do your part of the process. So it's like we've said before, when you minimize how much stuff people think about, then you allow them a better opportunity to be successful at at achieving what they need to achieve. So if you go to Conor Bradley and saying, you don't need to be Trent Alexander, you don't need to be hitting 40 yard cross field passes. You're really good at getting down the line and putting crosses in. So just focus on doing that. All of a sudden, Conor Bradley's going, great, I'm just going to have to be Conor Bradley. And he's doing it exceptionally well because he is Conor Bradley. And Mm -hmm. I think if we start to look at it from a psychological side, taking that pressure that someone could place on their own shoulders that could come from expectations by looking at social media from fans going, oh my God, Mo Salah's not, not playing. Like, how is Harvey Elliott ever going to fill those boots? And going, well, Harvey, you don't need to be Mo Salah. You just need to do this thing, which you're actually quite good at. Then, one, you're saying, I trust you to be good enough to fit in. And you can do what you can do because it's what you're good at. And I see it every day on the training ground. And that has a massive knock-on effect to the self-belief of the overall squad because the other players, the Virgil van Dykes, the McAllisters, the Diaz, know, okay, we, we're we not playing with those guys. These are the guys we're playing with. And this is how we think we can work things out together as best as possible mm-hmm. for a successful outcome. And if we look at that match last night, like the first half, I actually th- thought the process was quite good up until the final ter- third. I think the the final pass or the decision in, the, in that final area in the first half left a lot to be desired, but that's completely understandable because these guys haven't played that much football together. And 
I suspect, you know, everyone was talking about, you know, at halftime going, oh, Klopp's going to give him the hairdryer and all that kind of stuff. And I was actually at the time thinking, I really don't think he will. I think he'll go in and go, lads, let's just take the pressure off ourselves. We don't need to score a 40-yard screamer. We trust our process and we are going to score. And it sounds like that's exactly what he did do from what he said in the post-match press conference. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yep, Al, you are exactly correct based on based on his comments in the press, press conference. And it's funny, there were so many questions about what did you say in halftime? What did you do at halftime? And I think a lot of people wanted wanted that answer of like, oh, I went in and really gave it to him or I went and really like rallied the troops or I went in and really like whatever. And it, it sounds like, no, it, it sounds like really what he went in and said is that a lot of that first half was really good. He Basically, he said the fans clearly didn't like the first half. And that he said, like, around Anfield, you could kind of tell that people were, like, feeling that pressure. And he said that the the team clearly had tried to rush things a little bit, like, feeling the pressure of being behind. But that he said maybe the coaching staff were the only people who liked that first half. And so that we went in and basically we told them that. Here's all the things we liked. The process is working. Slow it down. Take the pressure off yourselves and trust that we can get there. And um, yeah, that was another really important, like from a a sports psychology perspective. Um, This is a conversation I end up having all of the time. And I think this is actually one of the most fundamental aspects of sports psychology and the work that um, people like me are trying to do is that you have to have a a process, right. That brings the best out of yourself. That's a a technical, tactical, physical process. Um, that, that work, we don't really define there's coaches and stuff and athletes are good at defining that for themselves. Um, once you have that set, one of the hardest things to do is to maintain a focus on and belief in that process, regardless of what's going on around you. 
regardless of the challenges that are coming your way and how the situation changes that. And so we talk a lot about narrative um, and how narrative and sense of self can shift the way we interact with the game. And so, um, you know, when you have your process really well set and then all of a sudden you go down by a goal, that's where it can be really easy to start thinking like, oh, do I have to change something? Do I need to step up more or, oh, maybe I, I'm not all there today or maybe I don't have, you know, Diaz misses the first couple chances in the first half. You know, maybe he says to himself, okay, like I just can't finish today. I got to be looking for the pass. That's a mistake that creates inconsistency that undermines confidence. That means you're getting away. You're changing something. It reduces automaticity. Um, you know, so luckily that's not what he did, but um you know, like that's the kind of thing that we're working on all the time is how do you stick to your process even when the situation is changing around you and challenging that process or maybe putting you in a spot where that would get undermined. Um, and like for better or for worse, right? Because sometimes it's also hard to get stay focused on your process when things are going really well. And so all of a sudden you feel like, like oh, like I'm pretty good today. Let me try this. Let me try this. Let me, and you get out ahead of yourself. You're trying things. You get complacent I don't love as a word like it does exist but I think is way overused in sport when we're criticizing someone who we don't really know why things aren't working for them we're saying oh that person's complacent now and it's like no probably not but like um you know like things can get it's easy to lose focus if things go really well that can be the case so um staying focused on that process maintaining belief in that process even when the stuff around you is changing. And so that's what Klopp clearly brought at halftime. And I think that's something we've always talked about with Klopp as being a strength of his is that he stays attentive to that and isn't personally too reactive to the outcome related pieces of the game. Yeah. And I think that I think sometimes can be hard for fans to, to accept or, or, or even, understand because when we look at Klopp on the sideline he's so passionate and he's so in the moment and he's shouting at everybody and like he was last night he was shouting at the fans you know giving out to everybody so as a fan it's very easy to sit there and go Jesus he's unhinged and he's going to tear the heads off them but I suppose that's probably why he does race down the tunnel have his quick smoke and then that gives him that space to actually get himself clear in what he needs to say, get rid of the the emotional response and go, okay, what is it that they actually need from me right now? And, you know, it's one of those things, I've worked in drugs education for years and uh, it was one of the funniest things that people would always say, you know, oh, that smoke, you know, it just calms me down. When literally, physiologically, it does the complete opposite it increases your heart rate so technically it's not calming you down but what people didn't seem to understand or grasp or even think about was that what we do when we if we are smokers and we're smoking five ten cigarettes a day we're taking ourselves out of a stressful situation and we're taking deep breaths somewhere quieter so what we're doing is we're giving ourselves the space away from a stressor to start to try and calm ourselves down. Granted, we're breathing in toxins, but but it is the the break. And like, I don't smoke. I don't know if you smoke, Andrew, but, you know, I, in my day-to-day work, if I was a smoker, it's socially acceptable for me to go and take four or five smoke breaks during the working day. It's not okay for me to turn around to my boss 
and not be a smoker and go, I'm just stepping outside for a little uh, fresh air break, even though I don't smoke. But that is essentially, I think, probably what, obviously he's addicted to nicotine, but if Klopp is taking his cigarette, you know, it is giving him that space to breathe and collect his thoughts and actually step in and do what the team needs him, not what he necessarily is reacting to. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing is that sometimes it's easy if we're frustrated and we see someone who appears frustrated to sort of assume we're frustrated about the same things. Yeah. And I don't know that Klopp is. Like when he's running around screaming at people, that probably has very little to do with the fact that they're one nil down and more to do with the extent to which he sees them doing what they're supposed to be doing on a tactical level. Um, you know, and yelling at the fans or whatever, like I didn't notice that, but like, um, he's probably mostly mad because like he's seeing this game through one lens and like, he definitely gets frustrated when people don't see things through the same lens as him. Or when, especially if that kind of fosters some frustration or negativity or is adding pressure. And I think probably what he's seeing there is that like the reaction from Anfield is adding pressure to the players where this energy, this emotional energy that's coming in of frustration is going to transfer to the players on the pitch to some extent. I think probably getting back to the locker room is a nice safe space also for him because it's like he's in control of the narrative now and he can get them in there and he can say, no, this is how we're looking at it. Like the energy and reactions from the fan, they're reacting to the score, not the process. We get to react to the process, keep doing what we're doing. Cigarette might help him with that or not the cigarette itself, but the, the smoke brick. I actually didn't know that that's why he runs down the tunnel and that's what he does before that. Well, I don't know for, for definite, but that's what I've been told that that's what he does. He runs yeah. off for his smoke brick, but you know, I could be uh, tiring him with a, an unfair brush. But, uh, you know, Could be. Uh, I think he does probably go and collect himself before everyone else comes in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that part is important, too, because then it gives you a chance to deliver the message you want. Um, in the way that it I'm needs sure. to be heard. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes we might want to not consciously deliver a message by tearing somebody's head off and go, what are you not getting? <laughs> Why do you not understand? And actually taking that step and go, okay, what is the way that is going to actually get across what it is I'm trying to say? It's, you know, it's like conflict resolution. You know, if somebody comes, Andrew, if you come start shouting and roaring at me, well, I'm going to respond to the emotion that I'm seeing in you, which is anger and frustration. So I'm more likely to go into my head and go, whatever he's saying, there's a re I got to figure out a reason why this is not my fault and there's not a justifiable reason for him to be mad at me. Or I'm going to go, the only way I can deal with this is shouting louder, going harder and hitting harder than Andrew. When in actual fact, if you're approaching me saying, I'll, I get really frustrated when you interrupt me. Is there any way we can do something differently so that, you know, you're not interrupting me and I'm not feeling like, you know, you're stepping on my toes? Well, I'm a lot more open if you're approaching me calmly than if you come shouting and roaring. So by thinking about what way the individual and the collective need to hear things, and that's why some players will need, you know, that 
addressing in front of everybody else. I'd say that rarely probably is of huge benefit, but maybe at times. Whereas for others, they will need the armor and the shoulder and say, look, you just need to focus on doing this job. That's it. You have it. You can do it. So I think that's one of those emotionally intelligent skills that Klopp has in abundance and probably what makes him such a wonderful man-manager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting with halftime or between periods or whatever your sport is and like having some rest time, especially with the amount of video that's available now. You have so much information available. And um, it just becomes really important, like you say, in getting a message across to be particular about what is it that we're trying to highlight and how do we keep the focus where we want it to be focused. And emotion is a big part of that. And um you know, if you can't manage your frustration and sometimes actually like um, it can be so frustrating to be doing something right and not getting what you want. And that becomes complicated because then it's harder to just keep doing that thing the way you're supposed to be doing it. Because there's some part of you that wants to like clamp down, get stressed, bring some intensity. You can end up yelling at your team for having a good half just because the result isn't where you want it to be. And that's, that's going to get in the way of, especially if, you know, what he felt like the team needed from sort of a mental, emotional perspective yesterday was to calm down, to take the pressure off of themselves, to be more fluid, to trust um, that they could make these plays in the final third, if they were a little more patient um, then going in and bringing that hairdryer frustration approach is not going to get you any closer to that. I think sometimes that's a really interesting thing too. And I don't know, this might be a hockey thing, um, but we're talking about it anyway. The, the, if someone is having a hard time finishing their chances in hockey, the most common advice that they get is like, you got to really bear down on those chances, like tighten up, like bear down on those chances, which I get, is the worst advice <laughs> because finishing Finishing situations and creative situations and the execution of those almost always benefit from a little bit more looseness and a little bit more calm and poise than they benefit from aggression. And I think it's it's a misunderstanding that takes place is that focused energy is also always supposed to have a certain degree of intensity to it and sort of angry intensity. And there's certainly times where players can benefit from anger or use anger to play well or use anger to bring more aggression. Like that's different emotions bring out different things at different times and, um, you know, have their use and have their function. But I think typically if what you need is, is execution or poise or creativity, then having introducing tightness or stress or agitation isn't going to get you what you want. So attacking angry like, or, you know, trying to play the ball around while you're angry, defending angry might be a little bit different, can be a little bit more physical, can be a little bit more, I don't know, like that aggression means something different sometimes on the defensive side of the ball or going into, might help you going to tackles or going into challenges or winning aerial duels, like where having some extra aggression and edge can be meaningful. Um, but then once you have the ball, like, that might be the thing that being angry and aggressive, you get a little bit more tunnel vision when you're angry and aggressive, like there's more tension and tightness, which is going to affect motor control and affect execution. 
Um, you know, that's where you might see someone try to pick up the ball and dribble through three people because they're so on edge and going or like, you know, just really getting into a shot that they shouldn't really be taking or scuffing it wide because they're so tight and angry. And so I think that becomes really important too, is like that frustration exists. And sometimes if what you need is to send the team out with a little bit of an extra boost, like let's say the issue yesterday, then we weren't aggressive enough. We weren't getting into challenges enough. We were losing challenges. We weren't running enough. Then maybe you introduce some aggression to the situation because that's going to help. But it's that would have been counterproductive yesterday. Mm. And I think what you've described, we saw two perfect examples of that in two players, in Luis Diaz and in Harvey Elliott. So with the second and third or the third and fourth goals, when we look at both of those in attacking goal-scoring positions in the first half, for the most part, the touch was too heavy. The, the, the pass didn't come early enough. The shot wasn't in... It seemed like to be rushed with both of them and they weren't successful. And then we look at the second half where the pressure is actually, actually off or there is less pressure on their shoulders because we're now 2-1 up versus 1-0 down. And Diaz's finish for the third goal was so calm on his... Will we say wrong foot, you know, his his non-dominant foot. It was so calm. And then Elliot's finish was so calm relative to the snapshots that he was taking in the first half. And that I think is the perfect example in that match to highlight exactly what you're talking about. And like so I'm a a good bit older than you, Andrew. And uh, I so yeah, guys. I know. Last time I said he was in his sixties, he's not really. He's actually quite a young man, uh, handsome as well to boot, and a full head of hair. Um, <laughs> but like guys, my I my age, I see them regurgitate, and we'll see uh, those ex pros regurgitate. You know, we need to get more aggressive, get stuck in. You know, get the hair dryer treatment, all that kind of stuff from. 20, 30 years ago. And the game is totally, totally different. And it's a better game now than it was then. It was probably maybe a bit more even then than it has been. But I think it's a better game now. There's, you know, less severe broken (laughs) bones due to tackles. There's less hairdryer treatment. There's more understanding of the finesse of the game. And the... The average players or below average players, we'll say, in the league now would be the best players in the league 20 years ago because the skill level and the understanding of what to do is so, so much greater than it is now. Sorry, than it was then. Mm-hmm. So I suppose what we try to get across in this podcast is a, a different viewpoint to start to look at the game slightly differently as best as we can given when we're watching a match we are emotionally invested i don't need a vpn i've got nothing to hide (laughs) this is what i used to tell myself before i hooked up with libertyshield.com not only is my home internet now fully encrypted but i can now access all the websites i want whenever i want and do so from absolutely anywhere 
As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. So, and I think as a fan, yeah, go on. The frustration is even greater. Mm. I think it's it's hard when there's nothing you can do to stay focused on a process. Like you have no process as a fan. <laughs> I guess maybe like it could be to like to be singing or cheering for the team if you're in the stadium, but like you're just you have no control, and I think that makes it so much harder to not be frustrated and let that frustration come out to a certain degree. And, um, you know, it can feel like too, when we're frustrated, Oh, they're not intense enough. They're not trying enough. Like this is come on. Like, let and like, um, yeah, as a player and a coaching staff, you have to find a way to insulate from that. There's something that I work like the main team that I work with right now on a team level like one of the things that we focus on fairly regularly or have is something we reflect on a lot is like momentum management. We can argue about the existence of momentum, but I guess we won't because clearly I think it's a thing because I have a team that's working on it. Um, Really what momentum management boils down to is emotional management and um, being able to move on quickly from the periods of the game that don't go your way, the setbacks that come your way in a game, or just whenever you play a sport in a high level, there's always going to be situations and moments where you're not fully in control or things aren't going 100% how you want. The, the level is too high to expect to 100% dominate a game, except on very rare occasions. Um, in those moments, what it means to manage the momentum well is really to... not let your frustration interfere with your process or not let your disappointment interfere with your process or not let, um, you know, whatever it is you're feeling, your frustration, your disappointment, your like doubt that creeps in sometimes when things don't go well, what bad momentum management looks like is every play from, it looks like what I watch the game like as a fan, to be honest with you. Or actually, who's even worse and doesn't listen to the podcast so I can get away with saying this is my dad. Watching a sport with my dad is an exercise in like if he were on the bench and everyone on or everyone playing was reacting like him, that would be bad momentum management. It's like, you know, the other team scores and it's like, oh, we're never going to win now. Like, that's it. Like, might as well throw this one out the window. And then you get one back. It's like, OK, here we go. Like, we're back. And then the other team scores. It's like, oh, my God, they're never going to win a game again. Like, it's that riding that wave back and forth of being like, well, we can't do this. Now we can do this. This person's great. This person's awful. Like, what are we doing? Like, that is allowing the emotions and the frustration to dictate the narrative 
And then that narrative changes what you believe and how you play and what you're doing and what process you can commit to. Um, good momentum management is the opposite of that is, is like, you know, this is what we need to do to win. And so it's like, you, you're going to have moments of frustration or moments where things don't go well. How do you move through those without overreacting to them and get back to no, this is what we can do. Keep focused on this, be positive, celebrate the small things. And I know I said, I'm not big on positivity, but I am big on reinforcement. And so it's about being able to focus on how do you continually reinforce the small pieces of process that you're supposed to engage in as a group and build positive energy by celebrating those successes. And that becomes a contagious thing is like now we're building good energy and we're building confidence by celebrating our good execution of the things that we do well. And um, yeah, that's, it's a tough, tough thing to do because the general consensus around how you're supposed to react to things is often, like you said, so focused on increasing intensity when things aren't go well or increasing anger when things aren't going well. And that's not always, and very often is not a good way to accomplish what you're looking for. And I think those little things are, are, are very subtle, but we can see them as fans. And I suppose it, I'd kind of, if fans listening to this are interested, is to watch the next match and look for those moments where Klopp applauds something that maybe the rest of us wouldn't. When a teammate comes up and is clearly clapping someone on the back on that is brilliant when they haven't done anything particularly spectacular. Because that's exactly what you're talking about, Andrew, from what I can see anyway, is those, mo those moments where they know what the processes are for each individual. And when they see them executing it, that is the important thing. Like at one stage last night, I think it was actually Elliot or, or maybe Diaz missed a shot in the first half or, you know, had a wild shot and Klopp was applauding like mad. He was giving it loads. And to the rest of the world, you go, why the hell are you clapping them for missing? But he's not. He's clapping the process and the build-up, which is... So he's he is process-orientated as much as he is goal-orientated in a, a, a metaphorical and an actual <laughs> um, way. Like... Yes, he wants to win. Yes, he wants to score as many goals as possible. But if he's seeing the process working and if his team are seeing the process working, or if they're not, he can point it out to them or the coaching staff can point it out to them. That's when you can start to see a, a belief and a growth and a trust that, yes, we are doing the right things. And we also have a bank of evidence throughout the whole season that in the second half, this actually works out most of the time. Because the amount of goals we've scored in the last 20 minutes of matches is huge relative to the rest of the game. So it is, we can point to that and say, look, lads, this is what we do, right? We just continue with this, the way you're playing. It's going to come because look, it's come in 95% of the matches that we've played in. And sometimes that's all yeah. what the individual needs. To, get, to regain that trust. So like you were saying, we got to find those things that block the reaction. Well, sometimes that's the beauty of a coach who's able to support a, a player to recognize what their individual and the collective little piece is. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. And we're aided in that this year by how resilient we've been and how much that's become a part of our identity that we can lean on. And so it's much easier to go into the second half feeling like, hey, we can afford to calm down here and take our time when you had so many previous experiences of being able to come back in a second half and win a game. And so that it, it helps a lot. And sometimes you have to do it without that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it helps when that experience is also there to tell you not only is this possible, but it happens regularly for us. Yeah. And I, I might be the only person who does this, but people will talk to different pivotal moments throughout the season. I know Klopp has said that the game against Luton was uh, like this team's Barcelona. I actually think the 2-1 win away to Newcastle at the start of the season was this team's Newcastle because, or this team's Barcelona because we were played off the pitch. They absolutely dominated us in that match and we stole it. And we stole it through two fantastic pieces of process and finishing. And I think that, that, that was the moment for me where I could see that shift within the players to, we can do this. So, but that's just me. And that's just yeah. what I think. It was, that was a huge game for sure. And like just creating the the kind of resilience. Um, you know, I think when Klopp talked about it was so again, like he was he was all jokes yesterday. It's worth worth going. So he said, you know, I promised the players after last year that I would stop referencing Barcelona, that Barcelona match. I'd stop talking about it. And he's like, But I broke my promise yesterday. Maybe at the end of the match, maybe whatever, but like um, you know, one of the things he said was similar is or two things that he kind of mentioned as being similar. The first one was just the number of players who were out Mm. and basically saying, if, if going into that second leg against Barcelona, all we had focused on was who wasn't there, we never would have won. And so, you know, really in this match, like the focus wasn't on who wasn't there. It was on executing. And then he also just sort of points to, you know, knowing from the first leg that there were spaces that we could attack, like, you know, we could make use of, we could beat this team. Mm -hmm. This was possible. And that's, you know, at halftime, that's how he and the coaching staff felt is like, this is, this is a game we can win. This game is there for us. Um, And, you know, not focusing on who's missing, trusting who's there, like people step up and shine. And um, yeah, that, that's certainly, certainly what happened. And it's, it's fun I think for Klopp, that's one of his favorite parts of the sport. We've always talked about how he has an underdog mentality or how he loves the idea of an underdog. But I think um, he loves seeing maybe the players who weren't expected to be able to shine like that, pull together as a group and be able to accomplish more than people thought they could. And I, I think he has a huge amount of belief in people, but also like that's just the part he loves. Yeah. Like, I really think I've not seen him that happy in a long time. Maybe it's because he's retiring soon. He just kind of knows, or at least he's going to take some time away for a little bit. And so maybe it's just in anticipation of that, um, that he can connect with that. But it's the happiest I've seen him in a long time. And I, I think it's because something about that particular group of players being able to come back in the second half and put together a really good performance resonates with him in a way that not everything does, or even, like um, 
even having his best players play a really good game might not resonate with him as much as yesterday did. Um, one of my kind of, I'll call it a pet theory a little bit about sports psychology or the things that I really enjoy is like, I think that a person is at their best or an athlete is at their best. We'll keep it to sport when something about who they are as a person is expressed in their game. And so that their game isn't just a set of skills that they've acquired, but it also some part of their personality and something about what they're like is expressed through the way they play. And when your game resonates with you that much, it becomes fun and affirming in a way that like can become unstoppable. Like it's just, it's fun. And I think that's what we saw yesterday for Klopp. Mm. Like this is why he manages. This is why he likes coaching. This is why, this is what he loves about the sport is these moments where a group that's in a bad situation or maybe isn't expected to perform well can connect with themselves and really execute at a high level. And people who don't always get the accolades can step up in big ways and demonstrate just how good they are. Um, it's really cool to see. It's, that's my favorite part of what I do is when you can get a player to that spot where they've defined their game and defined their process and it brings something about them that feels affirming and they can go out and do that regularly and connect with it. And you see how fun it is for them, um, how motivating it is for them, how good they can become. Um, and you notice like usually it'll be over a few weeks, like they'll connect with it and maybe you'll have a couple sessions about this and about this. And then, you know, they'll get to a spot where all those things fall together and like, you can just tell and they'll be like, this is really working. And first of all, I'll just be like, of course it is. That's why you pay me for this. But also like, um, they just feel that much different. And I feel like you, you see that with Klopp yesterday. That's the kind of thing that gets me so excited is people connecting with those moments that just bring out them. Yeah. And I think yesterday was one of those for Klopp. I think so too. Andrew, thank you so much for your insight. And I think we're all heading off now to watch the Luton post-match press conference just to see Happy Club. And uh, yeah, listeners, thank you so much for your ears. We really appreciate you tuning in. And uh, yeah, we'll be back again very soon with another Minefield podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.